listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be with you. And it's actually, it's, it's funny for me to actually say good morning. And I know that that's typical for a pastor to say good morning, but my church actually meets in the afternoon. And then I often get confused there too. And I'm often saying good morning, even though it's in the middle of the afternoon. Um, preaching in a movie theater. You know, I was thinking at a couple of different ways in which, uh, you, you know, uh, Harvest Church is kind of like, you know what, I, I feel at home here. Uh, uh, one is I really like movie theaters, uh, and then but also uh, uh, you know I, I know uh, Melvin quite well. Uh, I've met I actually know a, a few of you uh, as well. And and what I know about Mel, Melvin is that uh, uh, he loves the gospel and preaches the gospel. And so uh, if if you are people who uh, you love Melvin, you love Jesus, you love the gospel, then well then you're my people. So it's good to be here with you. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for my preaching, by the way, that's one of the pillars, so I'm not going to apologize at all. Um, Yeah, I'll just let that sink in. What I was going to also say about the movie theater thing, though, is that, you know what, it's hard enough to keep people awake when it's just a, you know, a bench, you know, I have a, that's challenging for me, even then, and it's just like, man, these seats recline. I brought my nephew, I have been here once before, and I brought my nephew, I'm not going to say his name, it's Curtis, but uh, I I brought him with uh, with me, and he reclined. I think the preacher was maybe two minutes in. And he was out. So, anyways, I got my eyes on you, people. And it's funny because people in the in the crowd they don't usually notice. They, they or they don't think that we notice up here. We do. We notice, and we keep track. And we'll tell the ushers. Uh, no. Anyways, um, good to be here with you. Uh, glad to help uh, Melvin out in this way. And I wouldn't do this, Melvin. If you ever listen to this in the future, I wouldn't do this just for anybody. Because I had to get up really early. That's one of the benefits of having a four o'clock service is you can sleep in and have waffles and such for breakfast. And instead, man, I had to get up early and be out here, but I'll do it for him because I love the guy. We're looking at Mark chapter two and uh, on that so nice that everything is there and I don't even have to turn my head. Uh, Mark chapter two, verses 13 to 17. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there or just uh, follow along on the uh, slide behind me. Mark chapter 2, 13 to 17 is what we're going to be uh, focusing on this morning. So hear the word of God. He, Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house... Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And this is God's word. Uh, in some ways, you know, I, I, true enough, I grew up in the church and, and things like that. But in some ways, probably if uh, people would have been asking who was the least likely kid, you know, in this church 
who would grow up to be a preacher and pastor, they probably would have said me. You know, I was the guy who would sit all the way in the back row of the balcony or whatever. Me and my buddies would just joke around, mock the preacher and whatever, never pay attention. And, uh, and here I am. And, uh, but there's other, and we often hear those stories of, you know, the least likely uh, you know, a guy like Jim Carrey, who's now uh, a famous uh, comedian, actor, but at one time the guy was like homeless, uh, sleeping in his car. Who would ever thought he would have become uh, somebody famous? Or, or J.K. Rowling, who's the author, of course, of the, the Harry Potter series, one of the, the, the most read books in our, in our time. And, and movies and everything else, and, uh, and, and her as well. She was a single mom and, and also uh, living in poverty. And, and, and for her too, people probably would have said, same thing, the least likely person to become uh, famous. And, and we, we know about many of these stories. And I think if, if we would say, who is the least likely person who would become a disciple of Jesus, it would be Matthew, the tax collector. I know they call him, they refer to him as Levi here. And probably I'm going to go back and I'll try to stick with one name. Here he's called Levi in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. He is uh, referred to as, obviously, as Matthew, and it's the very same uh, person who wrote the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And, and it's one of the, and it's actually one of those stories, you know, some people say, you know, the Bible's made up and, and everything else, and, and, it's, and it's stories like this uh, uh, that convinced me all the more that absolutely this is true because it doesn't really, it flies in the face of kind of common sense. Like if you were, if you were wanting to really convince people that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God come down from heaven, you know, you would, you would associate him with the who's who of, uh, of society. But instead, you had Jesus with, you know, kind of this ragtag uh, disciples following him around. They're fishermen and such. But then the least likely to become a disciple was, uh, was Matthew because, or Levi because he is a tax collector. Now, tax collectors, I know that, you know, now when we think of villains of the New Testament, we think of, you know, the Pharisees. They're the bad guys. But in Jesus' day, the villains would have been the tax collectors. And, uh, well, and true enough, we don't really like tax collectors you know, nowadays either. I mean, Tax, what? Um, but in Jesus' day, the thing about tax collectors is um, Israel at the time was, was of course, ruled by uh, Rome. So they are occupied by Rome. And uh, the tax collectors would be people who were Jews who would be hired by the Romans to collect taxes for the Romans. So tax collectors, on the one hand, they would be hated because they were seen as collaborators. I remember, or I don't remember, but I was told, because I didn't exist during the Second World War, but I was told with uh, people who lived, like in, in the Netherlands, that's my heritage, the Netherlands, like, uh, or in France, if, if, uh, if the Dutch became Nazis and they collaborated with the uh, with the Nazis. They were hated even more than the the German Nazis because they were they were they were their fellow countrymen. And so it would have been for tax collectors too, because they would have seen them as traitors. But not only would they have been hated because they were collaborators working for the Romans, they also would have been hated because there were no rules with regards to collecting taxes, and they were allowed to collect as much as they wanted to, and, uh, and that's why many of them became very rich. And so, you know, you know a fisherman uh, gets taxed for his, fish, for his fish, you know, he just kind of looks in the, in the net or in the basket or boat or whatever, say, yeah, there's, there's $1,000 worth of fish. They're just like, I only have seven. That's $1,000 worth, and I'm going to charge you 15%. You know, well, wait a minute, it was only 10% last week. Well, this week it's different. 
it's 15%. And so they could just gouge the people. They were shysters, and so everybody hated them. Uh, they would have been uh, excommunicated from the uh, synagogue. Anybody actually even uh, associating with or going into the home of a tax collector would be considered unclean. Uh, Pharisees, in particularly, would have uh, despised tax collectors. Uh, the, the, the disciples, the other disciples of Jesus, would have probably despised, would have despised uh, um, tax collectors, but, but also this guy Levi, because he would have been collecting taxes, no doubt, from them, because we find him uh, at the side of, uh, side of the lake. I could just see, you know, Jesus going over to Matthew and all the disciples going, no, you know, we don't want that guy as, uh, as one of us. So uh, think of Matthew as just the, uh, you know, stop and think about people who have, um, ripped you off in the past or, or have that reputation of, uh, of ripping people off. You know, you think of uh, people who, who have conned, for instance, some, some, uh, some senior folks out of their entire life savings or whatever. He's that kind of guy. So, so nobody wants to be associated with a guy like Matthew. So uh, ver- back, uh, going back to verse 13, here's the, the call of of uh, Matthew, Levi, says, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and said to him, follow me. What I find interesting here is that Jesus is calling Levi to follow him while he is basically in the middle of his sin, right? Because he's working. Everybody else is following Jesus. Everybody else is listening to Jesus and is teaching. Uh, Levi, I'm just going to keep going. I have to settle with one of the names. Uh, Levi is, is sitting at the tax collector's booth because he is at work. He's probably no doubt rubbing his hands thinking that, you know, this is going to be, you know, it's like he looks at the crowd and ching, ching, you know, he's got dollar signs in his eyes. And then uh, Jesus comes up to him while he is collecting taxes Right? He's, not a, he's not a reformed tax collector. He's not a, he's not a, 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 a tax collecting wasn't in his past life. This is what he was doing at, the very, at that very moment. So it'd be like, you know, Jesus calling a bank robber while he's holding up the bank. You know, he's calling the drug addict as he's shooting up. He's calling the, the, the porn addict as he's downloading loading the porn. Uh, he's calling the, the couple who are, who are living together, the, the non-married couple as they are living together, the, the, the drunk as he is drinking. He's saying, come and, and follow me. And that's how Jesus is with us as well, right? Jesus called you. Jesus called me while we were sinners, right? While we were, you know, as, as Paul says, dead in our trespasses and sins, right? God came to us and made us alive, right? God is always the initiator when it comes to grace and when it comes to salvation. And so uh, in the same way in which Jesus called Levi, he calls us as well in our time of, in our place of guilt and of shame, uh, he calls us out of our worst condition, Jesus noticed he, he doesn't tell him, I don't know what you would have said if you would have came up to Matthew, you know, I might have came up to him and says, you know, said something like, you know, I bet your mother's really proud, you know, you know, aren't you ashamed of yourself, you know, what a loser or whatever. Um, Jesus doesn't say anything like that. And actually, and Jesus doesn't even tell him to stop collecting taxes. He doesn't say, stop collecting taxes and then come follow me. 
right? Or, or first I want you to give up this, or first I want you to change this, or first I want you to start doing this, or be more committed to that, or, or stop doing this, and then come follow me. Nor does the first thing that Jesus says, uh, obey me. That's not the first word that comes out of his mouth. Comes up to uh, Levi, obey me, uh, serve me, uh, worship me, listen to me. But instead it is follow me. Not not that these things aren't required and these things won't happen eventually. It's just not the starting point and it's it's not the beginning of the invitation that Jesus is calling us. It's not the basis of the invitation of Jesus. Now what does Jesus mean by follow me? There's a lot of different things, but ultimately what it is is a call to relationship. He's not simply saying, follow my teaching, but he's saying, follow me, uh, be with me, stay close to me. And that's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is somebody who follows Jesus, who lives for Jesus, who has a relationship with Jesus. So in this one statement, follow me, there is this extending of, of grace and mercy and forgiveness and, and, uh, and a new beginning and a clean slate and acceptance and belonging. All of those things are included in this invitation, come and follow me. And of course, that begs the question, like, like follow you where? Follow you and, and do what? And where are you going to lead me? And what is it going to cost? And to which Jesus says, trust me. Follow me. And, uh, and make no mistake, it's, uh, in many ways, it is an invitation to follow Jesus into the unknown. It's, an in, it's, it's not an invitation to an easy life or a comfortable life or a simple life or a safe life or problem-free life. It wasn't that way for uh, Levi, right? Uh, Him along with all of the disciples, it was not easy for them. Most of them were martyred for following Jesus. It wasn't uh, easy for any of the disciples. It uh, It wasn't an easy life for Jesus himself. So, of course, it doesn't mean follow me and, uh, and have an easy life. But the question is, what are the alternatives? Don't follow Jesus and face life on your own. Don't follow Jesus and face your troubles on your own. Don't follow Jesus and face God on your own, right? those, Those are your alternatives. But Jesus calls us to follow him. Matthew doesn't respond by saying, are you kidding me? Give all this up. Throw away my life. Probably something more like this is going on in his head. Are you serious? Really? A person like you wants to be associated with somebody like me? You want me to follow you? Like, no doubt there is a lot of, you know, greed in this man and cruelty in this man and, and uh, selfishness to, to Levi and yet... Uh, No doubt there is also things like shame and guilt and regret and self-loathing. Seeing no way out, right? Like, oh, if I could just go back. You know, you you can't go back from being a tax collector. There just is no way going back. You know, if only I had made different kind of choices. And I wonder if that's some of you here today as well. Regret, oh, if only, 
If only I didn't hang out with those people. If only I would have said no instead of yes. If only I would have went left instead of right. If only I would have made some different choices in my life. Regrets, regrets, regrets. And we see no way out. And Levi saw no way out until Jesus came and said, follow me. And that's really all that he, and that's all that Matthew needed, Levi needed. And it was all that, uh, Jesus didn't actually make any promises to him. He just says, follow me. The invitation was enough. Who was making the invitation was enough. Uh, Levi would have known because he grew up and, and lived in the same town as you know, the other disciples as well. He would have known something about Jesus. No doubt about uh, the, the miracles of Jesus. The rumors going around maybe about Jesus being Messiah and things like that. The, the teachings of Jesus. He would have, he would have known uh, that, that God was with him. Gave him power to heal and cast out demons and such. And again, he would have, he would have figured this guy would never want me to follow him and yet Jesus comes up and invites him to follow him and it says and he rose and followed him and life was never the same and everything began to change and life began and hope began for this man as he got up and followed Jesus following this in verse 15 it describes a party that Levi holds for Jesus, it says in verse 15, and as he reclined at table, see, see, they reclined too, so that's good. This is very biblical, what you guys, if you're reclining right now, these guys are reclining. As he reclined at table in his house, uh, and Luke says, um, uh, Levi held, it, it was, it, he refers to it as a feast. He held a feast for Jesus. It says, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. Uh, Luke says, a large company, were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So Levi is a changed man, and he is a grateful man, and in response to the grace that is shown to him, he throws a party, he makes Jesus the guest of honor, he invites uh, the disciples, but then he also invites all of his friends. It says many tax collectors and sinners. Now why is he doing this? Well, on the one hand, no doubt it's because uh, they're the only friends a guy like Matthew had. And by the way, the call to follow me does not necessarily mean give up your friends, right? Becoming a Christian doesn't mean you got to give up all your friends. It does mean you're going to have a different kind of relationship with your friends. And that's how it was for Matthew, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to give them up. Matthew also knew that if Jesus accepted him, then he would accept his friends as well, right? And that's, that's, that's really encouraging. You know, think about it for yourself too, right? And, and think about, like, if, if Jesus accepts us, then who wouldn't he accept, right? If Jesus saved me, then, then why wouldn't he save, you know, my friend, my brothers, my sisters, my, my kids, my, my parents, my coworkers? If he accepts us, then there is no one that he would exclude. That's one of the marks, by the way, uh, our knocks against Christianity, right? Christianity, it's so exclusive. You know, Jesus, the only way, and Jesus, the, you know, the, no one comes to the Father but by Jesus. I find that offensive. It's so exclusive. The reality is, you know what, true enough, it is exclusive, but it is the least exclusive of all religions and all ideologies out there. I mean, most people, what they would say about, well, who are the ones who are going to get accepted by God? They say, well, the people who are good, 
You know, good people, sincere people, to which I say, what about people who aren't good? What about people who are not sincere? Like, if it's only about the good and sincere people, you know, Matthew wouldn't have gotten in. None of the tax collectors wouldn't have gotten in. You know, ultimately, none of us would have gotten in if it was all about good people. So it's exclusive, but it's the most inclusive of all ideologies out there. There is no one who is so bad that they are beyond the reach of God's grace. Who's there? Who's at the party? You know, it says tax collectors, sinners. And by the way, sinners would be the people who, uh, you know, are just would be considered ungodly. Uh, they would be people who just have rejected and forsaken the will of God and the commandments of God. You know, so like, who's, who's there? Who's, you know, who, who, who could we, you know, if, if we translated that into our own society and, and we showed up at this party, like, what kind of people are these tax collectors, sinners? Who, you know, it's just like, okay, well, there's, you know, over in one corner is, you know, the local businessman who rips everybody off. There's a, you know, a known pedophile over there. There's a guy who's been divorced five times. Here's a couple who are, who are uh, uh, sleeping together, but they're married to other people. There's a couple of Wiccans, a couple of people into Dawkins and Hitchens, right? The new atheists. There's uh, some gang members, some thugs, some hell's angels. They're, they're all at this uh, party. All sorts of people that, that would uh, never, A, want to go to the synagogue, and B, would never be allowed into the synagogue. And Jesus stepped into their worlds. The fact that he ate with them would be him identifying himself with them, extending friendship to them, uh, welcoming them, accepting them. That's why the scribes of the Pharisees, as we're going to find out, were so offended because Jesus is actually eating with them. You don't just eat with anybody. You eat with people that you want to extend friendship to. In Matthew eleven nineteen, it says this about, or Jesus says this about himself. He says, the son of man, that's himself, came eating and drinking and they say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is known as a friend of sinners. And my question to you is, is that the reputation that you have? Not simply that you have some sinners that are among your friends, but do they consider you a friend? As a Christian, do they consider you as a friend? Are they, are they the people that, uh, do, do they invite you over for dinner? They, do they call you up when they have a problem? Do, do they uh, uh, get together, you know, go camping or whatever, and they think of you and get together with you? Are you known as a friend of sinners? Is Harvest Church a church that welcomes and befriends sinners? And by the way, I'm going to be asking this question of my church, Free Grace Churches, this afternoon. I'm going to give them the same message. Are our churches, is this church known as a church that is friend of sinners? Do we welcome people? Is there room for people like Levi and tax collectors and sinners? Are there room for them in this church? I hope so. Because you know what? This story of Levi is really the story of every one of us, isn't it? This is, this is really the story of all of us. We're all sinners. We were all lost. Uh, Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us and that we were still, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
This church is a church made up of sinners. Saved sinners, forgiven sinners, but sinners nonetheless. And our resume is the same as Levi's and, and those at the party. We were dead. We were lost. We were condemned. We were doomed until Jesus called us and saved us. And so may no one ever say of this church, we are not welcome there. And may we never say of anyone, you are not welcome here. Verse 16 says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Right. Okay, again, let's get into the shoes. You know, for us, we want to. First thing we want to do as Christians is we're going to judge those Pharisees, right? Saying, yeah, they're always looking down on and judging and everything else. But again, get into their shoes, right? It's 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 your neighbor up the street. You know, who's having a party, you know, it's kind of known as a crack shack, and there's a lot of noise going on and, and that, and it's and it's way past midnight. And there's just, you know, beer bottles and you know all over the front yard, and, and the music is loud, and and you're that's it, you've had enough, and you go up the street and you knock on the door, door opens, and Jesus answers the door. You know, what would you think? It's just like, what are you doing here? You know, and that's how the Pharisees would have been too. Just like, you should be hanging out with us. Like, what in the world are you doing to the local crack shack? You belong with us. And when Jesus heard it, when they said, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so when, when Jesus says that he's not called the righteous, but sinners to repentance, he's, you know, Levi falls into that, that category. Uh, he's, he's in the sinner category. He's the, he's the sick person in, in need of a doctor. It wasn't, it wasn't as if, well, Jesus actually knew that, you know, uh, Levi in his heart of hearts was a good person. It's like, no. Jesus is basically saying, you know, go tell those Pharisees. You know, it, it, it's, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but, you know, the sick, you know, to which Matthew might, might have got offended at first. Like, hey, you call me sick. And it's just like, come on, dude. You're a tax collector. It's just like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, right, right, right. I am. I am. I am sick. I do need a doctor. Jesus sees us at our worst. He knows us all the way down to the bottom. But instead of casting us off as we deserve, he invites us into his grace. He invites us into his heart. And what a wonderful relief. It's such good news, right? I'm, I am not accepted. You are not accepted because of potential but only because of grace. Matt Chandler, another pastor, says, God is not in love with some future version of you. God is not in love with some future version of you. It's not you tomorrow that he loves and delights in. It's not you when you get your act together. If you believe that Christ's love for you is a future love for you, then you dismiss the cross of Christ. God loves you where you are, as you are. He's going to take you somewhere, but he loves you as you are and where you are. 
He's not in love with a future version of you. He loves you now. And it was for this purpose that Jesus came. He didn't come because we had it all together, but because we didn't. Now, just on a side, okay, now, so Jesus is hanging out with all these tax collectors, sinners, he's eating with them and everything else, having a good time or whatever. I don't know what's going on at this place. But, uh, you know, does, does loving sinners equal accepting their lifestyle, right? Like some would say, well, see, look at, look at Jesus. You should do it the way, like Jesus, he's, he's just accepting people where they are. He's just, you know, hanging out with them. He's not preaching to them or whatever. He's just, he's just accepting them. And, and we should just accept people instead of trying to change them. However, what does Jesus say his mission is? His mission is to call sinners, or as Luke says, call sinners to repentance. So Jesus wasn't simply hanging out with sinful people, cracking jokes, talking sports, swapping stories. He was calling them ultimately to repentance, to turn from their sins and turn to God. You see, to be a true friend to a non-believer, to be a true friend to a sinner is to share the good news of the gospel with them. That's what it means to be a friend of sinners. Now there's an appeal here then to two kinds of people. The first is a person who says, I am so bad and so sinful, God would never save me. God would never want anything to do with me. All the things that I've done, the things that I've thought, things that I've said, God would never want anything to do with me. But here we see the worst of the worst. He's forgiven and received by Jesus, which says no one is beyond the reach of God's grace and mercy. No one. And so no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, you are not beyond the reach of God's grace. And Jesus calls to you, follow me. And then there's a second category. I'm a good person. I don't need to be saved. I'm a good person. Of course, God is going to accept me. And if that's your mentality, then you're in more danger than the quote-unquote sinners. Because it's those who think that their moral goodness makes them accepted by God who will not see their need for Jesus to repent, to turn from their sins and be saved. These are the ones who are sick, but they think they are healthy, and therefore they refuse to go to the doctor. Does that describe you? I'm a good person. As long as you have this outlook, then Jesus actually can have nothing to do with you because he didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners. So Jesus really was simply would be saying to you, I, I don't have anything for you. I don't have any hope to offer you. I don't have any life to offer you. Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't have anything to say to you. And it wasn't because, it's not because, and by the way, it's, it, it, when he's talking about it's not the righteous, not that they, they were righteous, not that these scribes of the Pharisees were righteous, but they thought they were righteous. The reality is no one is righteous. No one is good. Romans 3.10 says, no one is righteous. No, not one. And you know this. We all know this. 
right? We don't, we don't even live up to our own standards, right? You don't need a preacher to tell you, you have sin in your life. Like, we all know this. We, we don't live up to our own standards. The things that we judge other people for, we do those exact same things. The things what we get on a case of our kids about are the same, very much the, the same things that we ourselves do. We know that we are sinners. And how often a person is, is shocked to find out that they have, you know, they, they, they have cancer, that they are dying, but I, I feel fine. I feel fine. But it doesn't change. It doesn't change the, uh, the reality is we really are sinful. And that's the twisted part about sin is that it, it makes us blind to our own sinfulness. But the reality is we are all sick. We're all sinners in, in need of a Savior. That as long as you live with the delusion that you are righteous, you actually keep yourself from the one remedy that you need and you end up dying in all your sin all the while believing that you are righteous. And so Jesus says to you, you really are sick and you really need a doctor and you are a sinner and you are in need of a savior. Now the good news here is that Jesus didn't only come to call sinners, but ultimately he came to save sinners. And eventually Jesus would so identify himself with sinners that he would go way beyond simply eating and reclining with them. He would actually become one of them. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, He, that's speaking of Jesus, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself and bore the sin of tax collectors, the sin of sinners. He was identified as if he were one of them and he was, he was treated as if he was a tax collector and a sinner when he's hanging on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is he doing that? Because God is identifying him with tax collectors and sinners. He's identifying him with you and with me. And he's cursed on our behalf. Why? So that God can now treat you and me as if we were Jesus. As righteous as Jesus, as wonderful as Jesus, as holy as Jesus. That's, that's the whole great exchange of the gospel. Jesus gets our sin and is treated accordingly. And then we get his righteousness. That is very good news. He died for us, and then he rose from the dead, and he calls on each one of us to follow. So my question to you is, are you a Jesus follower? You know, we're all following something. We're all following something. The basis of our identity, whatever promises us happiness or security or identity, right? So we're, we follow money. We follow our dreams. We follow ambition. We follow success. We follow the crowd. We follow desires. But all of these lead to a dead end, literally to a dead end. And none of them can save us. And Jesus says, follow me. You know, and, and for some of you, you just simply, maybe the gospel's new and church is new and you're just kind of checking it out. And, you know, and, and for some of you, you know, follow me is, is simply Jesus saying to you, get to know me, hang out with me, learn about me, keep hanging out with these other people that know me and follow me. 
And for some, maybe the whole reason why you're here today is because is you're just kind of intrigued with Jesus. You want to know more about him. And I, I just keep coming. Keep coming. Keep learning. Keep hanging out with these good people. But eventually and ultimately, follow me means turn from whatever you are living for, trusting in, pouring yourself into, and live for and trust in Jesus. He really is worth following. And the gospel is you are far worse than you ever dared imagine, but God's grace is far better than you ever dared hope. And for those of us as Christians, application for us is don't write anybody off. Don't write anyone off. Right, and if you're like me, it's just like that, I, that person would never become a Christian. I'm not even going to bother. You know, I don't even, I'm not even going to pray for that person. This is like I can't envision that person a Christian or that person, can, you know, coming to my church or what. I can't even en- envision that. There is hope for anyone. Addicts, prostitutes, pimps, drug lords, criminals, haters, bigots. Narcissists, jerks, whatever. There's hope for anybody, everybody. Let's be careful not to write anybody off. And then finally, what kind of, what kind of church attracts Matthews, Levi's? What kind of church is like that, right? Tax collectors, sinners, where they just feel like, man, I just want to come out. I just want to be part of what, what, what these people are part of. I, I want that. What kind of church attracts these kind of people? It's one made up of people who realize that they themselves are saved by grace. That at one time they were lost, desperate, helpless, hopeless, dead until Jesus came and called, follow me. And we followed and found love and hope and forgiveness and life everlasting. Just a group of people that have experienced the grace of God are people who want to share it with others. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we just want to be quiet before you. Lord, what is it that you are um, saying to us? What do you want me to grasp? What do you want me to hold on to? What do you want me to uh, believe? What do you want me to confess? What do you want me to let go of? What's the truth you want to take down deeper into my heart? Lord, we just pray that we would hear your Holy Spirit speaking to us, encouraging us, convicting us. Lord, draw us to yourself. Lord, thank you that you are a God of grace. Thank you for sending Jesus to live the life we couldn't live who died the death we should have died, Lord, as a tax collector, as a sinner, as us, getting everything that we deserve so that we could get everything that he deserved, Uh, righteousness, heaven, life. Thank you that uh, by your grace we're adopted into your family and we belong to you. And Lord, for anybody here who's never embraced, um, never followed Jesus, Never embrace the gospel. I, I pray that this would be the day where they say, Jesus, I want to I wanna follow you. I want to know you. I want to be with you. Would you uh, come into my life? Would you change me? Forgive me. Just show yourself to me. 
And uh, Lord, thank you that that's a prayer you love to hear and answer. I pray for Harvest Church. I, I thank you for this church. And uh, Lord, may you continue to just preserve the, the unity of this church. May it just thrive and grow. May it be a bright light in this dark community. Uh, may it be one that just continues to, to welcome the quote-unquote uh, sinners uh, as, as each one of us realizes that's us. And Jesus, if you welcomed us, then, uh, then, you're gonna, then uh, we just want to welcome everybody else too. And Lord, just keep on adding to this church uh, those who are being saved. Uh, give us the same heart uh, for uh, sinners as you have. Uh, and may we not even see them as sinners. May we just see them as people that you love. And may we treat them accordingly. And, uh, and may part of that be just sharing the good news, sharing a meal with them, uh, sharing our lives with them, and, uh, and also sharing the good news with them so that uh, those that we know and love that don't know you yet would come to know you as well. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen.